Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Normally on the first Sunday, sometimes in the first few Sundays, I I call it the State of the Union Address. We talk about our direction. I purpose, I'm I'm very, I really believe... uh, God has a purpose for all our lives. And he has a purpose for every expression, which is the local church. Now, the purposes will be very similar between all the local churches, but each local church will have a unique flavor. And determine to understand, not to determine, but to understand what the flavor is, is important. And then to make sure that you don't go cross-stream on it, that you need to do what God's calling the expression of the body to do. And this year as we come together, I just, a personal desire is for impact. I want to be a person of impact this year. And that has been just uh, stirring in my heart. I want to be a person of impact. How to spiritually impact the lives of someone else. And I think that would be a good thing. Let us be a people of impact. Everybody say impact. I want you to remember that word, impact. And maybe even pray about that. Pray, hold that word up before the Lord, impact, impact. Lord, how do you want me to impact others? Now, flowing out of that, there's a chart here, and, and I really believe the time is now. There's a time for every season, but there's a time for now. And there's a chart I'd like, if I could have our visual put the chart up, and In this chart, this chart has, I came across this chart many years ago, and this chart has guided me in so many ways. God wants us spiritually alive, but frequently, if you begin to know there's a cycle, and this cycle is a personal cycle, you're going to see yourself in this cycle. This cycle is a cycle of a church. The cycle often begins where when we come into vibrant faith, be be careful on the right side of this chart, watch complacency, where we start to just take for granted. We no longer have the same fire burning in our, in our hearts. The, the fire's not burning there. We begin to enjoy things more than we used to. We begin to enjoy television, um, movies more than, than we used to. We begin to really find ourselves absorbed more in social media. We're gaming more. We are all the other more. We're, we're spending more time this, more recreation, sports. And what happens, we, we begin to take and not care and focus on external things. We begin to forget the Lord. Time goes by and we, we want to. You know, even Sundays, well, you know, I got a good reason not to be part of the body today. And we begin to come up with reasons, reason, reason. Do you know, do you recognize this? I see it so clear. Before you know it, there's a spiritual deadness. It's Revelations 2, 4, and 5 all over again. You've lost your first love. You've lost your first love. How to get there? There's this. There's how you get there. If you want to take a picture of this one, go ahead and take a picture. And then here's, here's where we are today. Oh, God, stir up inside me a hunger. Hunger. That I would not be desiring that which is on the right. Hunger for you. Seeking the Lord. If you seek him, the Bible says, if you seek him, you will what? You will find him. 
It's not, it's not you might find him. If you seek him with all your heart, 100% guarantee, there's not much in this world you can 100% guarantee, you will find him. But you have to seek him. It requires hunger. You can't have the right column. You will never, you'll never be on the left. You won't be on the left. And I'm going to suggest the right column happens without you even knowing it usually. You don't know until you hit the bottom. And then you realize you try to pray, you can't pray. Somebody comes and asks you to pray for them, you don't know what to say. You realize that, that there's no vibrancy. The, the, the song in your heart is gone. You know what I'm talking about? The song in your heart's gone. You filled it over here. And then personal transformation, revival. But watch, but watch, but watch. The hardest part is not getting revival. I'm not convinced. The hardest part is not the left column. The hardest part is staying out of the right. Because once you experience a powerful move of God, he begins to stir your heart, and you begin excited, and you get involved in the body, and you begin to pour out yourself, and the gifts begin to flow, and you hear his voice again, and you experience his healing and powerful touch. Be careful of complacency. Be careful of other things. And the hardest part, I find, is to recircle back, recycle back into, back into hunger, seeking the Lord, personal transformation. So we are entering into a time, and I'm going to invite you to... Uh, we are encouraging you even to, into a season of fasting. And this is often a good time. <laughs> Every church knows this because you've just come off of Christmas gluttony. And Christmas gluttony, you, you got to drop a couple of pounds. And this is a good time to fast. If for, I mean, for health reasons, just to get your, the toxics out. But it's a, even a better time into this new year. I find January is my most difficult month of the year, personally, and it's my most exciting month. It's my most difficult because it's like in the dead of winter, and I'm not a huge winter lover, okay? So it's in the dead of winter, and it seems like Christmas has passed and summer's so far away. Right, January, that's January for me, and, and Laurie knows that. It's like, oh, it's January. But it's also one of my most exciting months because every January, I commit myself to a whole season of spiritual disciplines, and the Lord and I have some real moments. I'm going to, uh, you may have this book. It's, it's not a new book. It's been out for a few years by a friend of mine, uh, Bob Sorge, down in the U.S. He's part of the House of Prayer, 24-hour prayer, seven days a week. Um, Bob Sorge uh, wrote this book, Secrets of the Secret Place. I've been going through it. I've gone through it many times. I've spoken, preached from it, done seminars. Secrets of the Secret Place. He even has a study guide with it. Secrets of the Secret Place. Small little chapters. Small little chapters. Uh, chapters like um, uh, the secret of desperation, the secret of enduring, the secret of waiting, uh, the secret of holiness, the secret of tears, the secret of rest. And he goes through, there's like 40 different topics in there, or 50 topics in there. Uh, encourage you if, you, if you want to get that, you can get it. You can go online and get that. But the other thing in that is fasting. I'm going to invite you to, to enter into a season. When I say a season, it's more than two or three days of fasting. And what I did is I just made copies. I mean, they're hot off the press this morning. I forgot to do it this past week. So they're on the Info Center, Guidelines to Fasting. Guidelines to Fasting. And I made a number of copies. Uh, we are also, I'm putting it out this Wednesday. If you get the newsletter, you can get it this Wednesday as well. So if you don't want a hard copy... This Wednesday, it'll be in the newsletter. Uh, you, can, you can print it for yourself or look at it yourself. If you are online, 
and you're not, you don't have access to our newsletter or you're here, I just send the church an email. We will send it to you. But these guidelines for fasting, I'm not going to take the time to go through the guidelines, but there are guidelines. I'm going to encourage you not simply for two or three days. I find two or three days doesn't do it. I find it needs to begin with seven days. It needs to begin with seven days. And then whatever the season is, and I'm not going to dictate, but there's something about, there is something about the three-day, there is something about the seven-day, about the 21-day, about the 40-day, about the 70-day. And so, um, and, and it's not that you won't have food for that length of time. There's different kinds of fasts. But I'm going to encourage you not just miss a, you know, um, a meal a week kind of thing. It doesn't do anything. Um, it just makes you really hungry for the next meal. Uh, and, and not just missing meals, but, but really putting God into, those, into the place. And so that guideline will walk you through some of those things. Part of that, I want to flow out of that, we are going to have, and this is all in the season, all very intentional. I've been waiting for this for a long time. I'm so excited about this. We are going to resume weekly prayer meetings. And they're going to be on Saturday night. But here's the good news. And for those online, they're going to be a Zoom prayer meeting. Saturday night. So you can be wherever you are and Zoom in from 7 o'clock to 7.45. 45 minutes. Lori and I are going to run these prayer meetings every Saturday night. Uh, some may may not know every Saturday night. Typically, we are here at the church anyway praying. And so we said, you know what? Most people can't come, but we can do Zoom. And we're going to gather together and Zoom. Uh, I have probably one of my most powerful moments in the week. It's my Tuesday. I started it a year ago. Tuesday morning Zoom with a bunch of pastors. There's about 15 to 20 pastors. We come on every Tuesday morning, 8 o'clock. It's become so pivotal in my life in this season that I, I, it's like I became jealous. I want my church family to be a part of a Zoom. And so we're coming together. Prayer meeting Saturday night. Can't make it every Saturday night, but I encourage you to come on. Don't come on at 7.30. Come on at 7. It's not that you can come sometime between 7 and 7.45 because we close up at 7.45. But we're going to pray and we're going to focus on praying for the church. We are living in a very despairing time. I have been pastoring a number of years and I've been through seasons of despair. Seasons where the church has walked through the ebbs and flow of church life. But we have sunk into a season of deep disparity. It's not unique to Cornerstone. It's right across the board. A season of deep disparity. And what do you do in a season of deep disparity? You call on the name of the Lord. This is a great opportunity to become desperate for him. Remember that chart? We start to hunger and seek his face. And one person alone can't turn the tide. But you two or more... When we begin to agree together as a church and we begin to stand on behalf of the church, God will be faithful. He will be. It's his nature. He will. But he waits and sometimes these seasons, he's looking to see, are you desperate enough that you will get together and call on my name or are you going to try to do it in your own strength again? Our own strength doesn't work that well, have you noticed? So... We're going to get together. So Zooming on Saturday. And the second thing, I'm going to invite you to join me. Pastor Trish Bade mentioned it's a connect group, but it's more than a connect group. It's really the only connect group outside of the Wednesday morning ladies group that we are offering right now. We're just honing in on one very simple group on Wednesday night. And what I'm doing on Wednesday night, we're going to be applying what I'm, te what I'm teaching on Sunday. We're going to put boots to it. We're going to actually bring in application to the things we're talking about today. So today's what I'm talking about. I'm going to take it this Wednesday, and we're going to have discussion. I invite you, those who are online, 
who are watching online, if you have any questions from Sunday's message, email the church. We're going to have some dialogue around it because there is revelation among God's people. But I, it's not going to be a Bible study. It's going to be an application of what we're talking about on Sunday for just over an hour, quarter to six. And, and on Wednesday, you can come anytime. Now, on our Zoom, if you come in halfway, you're going to feel a little bit out of place. But on Wednesday, you can come. If you can't make it till 7, come at 7. But we're going to be meeting at the cafe. Uh, can't have any food, of course, but our food will be the Lord. And we're just going to apply the things that God is speaking to our hearts. We're going to let him minister one to another. We're going to release the giftings of his spirit. We are seeking to hear from his voice. We're desiring revelation of the Holy Spirit. Children's ministry will be downstairs, but we invite you to come. I'm calling all my leaders. I'm calling my elders. I'm calling my teachers. I'm calling my all those who join us for this. This is not like, well, you know, that's good for those that want something on Wednesday. This is a church call. Let's come together and apply what God is saying to us. They did. This is what was the early church. They not only heard the word, but then when it was explained, they went out and applied it. And that's what we were desiring to do on Wednesday, quarter to seven. So we invite you to those two things. Zoom on Friday night, or on Saturday night. Saturday night, not Friday. Saturday night. What time Saturday night? Seven o'clock. What time on Wednesday night? 6.45. All right. Um, our vision statement for the church has been based on three scriptures. It's based on the commandment scripture when Jesus was asked about what is the greatest commandment. It's based on cornerstone to love God and to love others. With love the Lord with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. And then it's based on Ephesians chapter 4. Build each other up in the faith. That's the, that's the fun part of the body. That's what one of the biggest things this pandemic, two biggest things this pandemic has, has gotten in the way of has been item number two and item number three, growing together, building each other up. And there's that mutual edification. Body needs the body. It's not, it was never meant to be one way. It was meant to be omnidirectional. Ministry, ministry to each other, ministry to each other. We're going we're gonna to pump the paddles to our chest and get that back again. And the third thing is serving so that in me I can impact, spiritually impact someone else's life. I got an email a couple weeks ago from a dear friend of Lori and myself and, the, and some of you here at the church. I'm not going to mention his name. He's a district superintendent in Cuba of a whole district, a whole gene. He sent this email. His church has been under persecution. His life has been under persecution. His email was this, Hebrews chapter 1039. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed. But to those who have faith and are saved. That just so blessed me, knowing where it came from. We are not among those, we do not belong to those who shrink back, who say, oh, I can't do it right now, you know. I can't, you know, and I, I, I'll come out when, when the time is right. Or I'll, I'll get involved when the time is right. He says, we're not among those. But those who have faith. Those who have faith. If you go four verses earlier, because when I read that, I thought, oh, that's a great. So I read the whole chapter. And I went four verses earlier. It says, so do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere. Everyone say persevere. We got to persevere. Your faith will be rewarded. We got to persevere. So we are not among those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and are saved. Jesus was surrounded by a bunch of people 
in Matthew, and I'm, I'm going to just read a couple of texts here today, and then I'm going to go and, and share a story from the Old Testament. And the texts here today were from Matthew 22 and Matthew 5. Matthew chapter 22, Jesus was surrounded by a whole bunch of strategists. They were religious people. And they were strategizing over the 613 religious items on their agenda. Over hundreds of years, the, the, the family of God had begun to put rules to rules to rules to rules to rules to rules to rules, laws, you can't do this, you can't do that. If you do this, here's what's going to happen. They came to Jesus and they wanted him to enter into it. And Jesus, he made this most profound statement. Everything out of his mouth is profound. We know that, right? He made this profound statement. He said, ah, stop it. He didn't say those words. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. He simplified 613 down to one. Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind. And then he said, and secondly, then you can love others. All these other rules, 613. No, love God with all your heart. Love him with all your heart. I had a person who was a volunteer one time. They were a great volunteer. They were on staff volunteering as well. And they were, uh, started to, they were complaining. You know, we don't, I can't get anybody for here. And this person won't do that. And nobody's stepping up to this. And they're leaving me to do all that. And they're leaving me to do all this. And they started, we just paused. We said, do you know what's happened? The song in your heart's gone. You've lost your first love. It's time to start loving God again. It's time to shut the door, go into the secret place, and find him again. Because all that stuff will make sense, but it won't make sense if you can't find God. You will be doing it in your strength, and you'll be angry. And you'll get angrier and angrier, and then you'll start looking for satisfaction in other places. No, 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 no. Jesus, he told them, he says, guys, you're, you're caught up in the 613 things. You need to get back to loving God. Loving God. And then he made this really a powerful statement in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. He says, You have heard it said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Now, I'm going to go back again. Verse 43. You have heard it said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. By the way, that's not in the Bible. Okay, I just want to tell you, it's not in the Bible. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Nowhere in the Bible it tells you to hate your enemy. Nowhere. That was one of the 613. They knew it. When he said it, they go, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It was called, they called this the, the law of revenge, the law of retribution. Uh, you get even, right? An eye for an eye. That came out of there. And so Jesus said, you've heard it said, love your neighbor, but hate your If you've got an enemy, you know, it's okay to get even. It's okay to, to have a problem. But he says, no, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you if you want to be sons of the Father. It's there I want to stop and talk about today. I want to talk about loving the unlovable. (laughs) It's easy to love those who are really nice people. It's easy to love those who are considerate and kind and nice to you who talk to you and smile. It's easy to love those who encourage you and compliment you. But the others, the unlovable, the ones who actually have 
not only are hard to love, they have actually pitted themselves against you. They have tried to take you down. It's going to be really hard. Again, the State of the Union address is to love God with all our heart. But here's the thing we often don't add. But what about those that you're having a hard time with? And today I have to start there. I have to start there. I want to start about those that you're having a hard time with. Uh, I'm going to call them your, in some ways, the, the unlovable. Maybe your enemy. How do you, Jesus said, your enemy. Those that you've kind of, friends, enemy. Uh, I want to talk about how you can find absolute love for them and full release and forgiveness in regard to those that have hurt you. So I invite you to like just lean forward on this one. Try not to be distracted. Uh, and I, I say that to those who are online. That's one of the problems I have with online because often I have a phone here and I have something here and something's going on over here. I'm not good with that. I have to be one to sit at the front because I am easily distracted. Even now, I'm starting to get sidetracked on my conversation. Okay, so how do I love my enemy? I want to talk about some areas we have to forgive them. And today, it's around, i got to forgive them. And there are superficial levels of forgiveness. We say, oh yeah, I've been there, done that. Been there, done that. I want to suggest there's a lot, there's a couple things and I'm going to encourage you, you've got to get beyond this. There's a qualified forgiveness. It's forgiveness that uses the word if. I'll forgive you if. Okay, that's not what he's talking about here. I'll for, or we put the word when. I'll forgive you when I'm able to. Um, and what we really mean is I want you to stew in it for a while. I'll get back to you. No, 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 that's not, that's not true forgiveness. The second level, so there's qualified. Qualified forgiveness, that's not true forgiveness. Secondly, there is another level called partial forgiveness, and God's not talking. Jesus doesn't refer to partial forgiveness. Partial forgiveness will put the word but in there. I'll forgive you, but please, I never want to see you again. It's not true forgiveness. I'll forgive you, but don't expect me to ever treat you the same way again. Oops. You actually really haven't. You've partially forgiven. It's a deception on your behalf. And the enemy loves this because there's still something wedged in your heart. So today we're going to believe that this new year, and, and I want you to take from today, and we're going to unpack this on Wednesday, trust me. I want you to take from today some things. If you want to write these seven points down, they're available for you or take a picture of them. They're available for you. First of all, I want to start, what, what do you mean when you say an enemy? An enemy is someone who either wants to harm you or who would say something about you so as to call your credibility and integrity into question. They would rejoice at your downfall. They would rejoice at your lack of success. They're not praying God's blessing or prosperity on you. They hope God will get you. An enemy is someone who wants to discredit you. They're a person who speaks badly about you to someone else to keep you from succeeding. Your enemy is someone who has offended you. All of them, your enemy. Now, I want to start by saying, I read this from somebody... The blessing of having an enemy. I, I don't like this part right here, but I'm going to throw it at you because it's true. The blessing of having an enemy or someone who offended you, first of all, you are chosen for behind your offender is the hand of God. 
You get through this person, those who have offended you, God will move in your life. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 5. On the other side, you're going to see the Father. So if I have to get through my offender, then so be it. You see, if it weren't for the offender, I might never see him in the way I need to see him. Secondly, God has raised up your offender possibly just for you. Now, I can't say I like any of those two, but I need to put them down because it's, I think it's true. The more I live, the longer I live, I see that they have accelerated me. If I deal with them right, and if I don't, they actually stall me in my faith. I let them do it. But they accelerate me in the things that God wants me to do. The late Nelson Mandela was asked many times how he emerged from all those years in prison without being bitter. His reply was simple. Bitterness only hurts oneself. He would later say, quote, If you hate, you will give them your heart and mind. Don't give those two things away. End quote. There's good reasons to forgive. First of all, consider the consequences. If you do forgive, God says, if you release them, if you forgive them, he'll release you and blessings will be poured out. Well, the inverse is true that consider the consequence if you don't forgive. Jesus says, if you refuse to give, your heavenly father can't forgive you. Forgiveness is huge. When you come with your gift and there's something, your mind is there, you come to church. When you want to start, so here we have 2022. Let's start this year with the right thing. The right thing is we have to start there. As a matter of fact, I was going through the prayer guidelines, the fasting guidelines that I just mentioned to you earlier on that document. And I think it was number four on the things it talked about. It says it has to start with the place of forgiveness. Fasting will help you get to that place where you truly, truly release people. You try in your own strength, you can't do it. Been there, done it, bought the t-shirt. But fast and pray and watch what God will do. And what happens is strength will come spiritually. And you'll do it. And there will be such victory on the other side of forgiveness. I want to take our time now to the story of Joseph. Genesis 45. I invite you to go there and just have it sitting in your lap. Genesis 45. Invite you to go and read the whole story this week. Genesis 45 tells the story of Joseph. And Joseph, had, who was loved dearly by his father, had a whole whack of brothers. His dad really was fond of him, though. And probably gave him extra treatment. Brothers were jealous, more than jealous. The jealousy turned into envy. The envy turned into hatred. Hatred turned into bitterness. Bitterness turned into murder. Their hearts, there's always a cycle. You never just arrive at bitterness and murder. There's a, there's a process of getting there. That's why forgiveness is so important. you got to nip it in the butt early. Because when it picks up speed, it's like a rock coming down a hill. You're not going to stop that thing. So we got to stop it early. And I'm going to suggest early today, this week, this month, this month, as we enter into a season of prayer and fasting, now is the time to be people of spiritual impact. If you're going to be impactful, you've got to start with releasing some things. Let it go. you got to release it and find forgiveness. Real forgiveness, not qualified, not partial, but real forgiveness, real forgiveness. And Joseph is a story because his story is uh, a story really based around how God can help you to be a person who releases and forgives. So in Joseph's story, his brothers, what they did is they got a hold of him. 
They wanted to kill him. Some wanted to just kill him right there. Others said, no, 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 I'm not really happy with that whole murder thing. Let's sell him into slavery. So they agreed. They sold him off into slavery. He disappeared. He was taken as a slave. He lost his identity. He lost his name. He was thrown into a land. He had to learn their language. And he was rejected by his brothers, forsaken, and left as dead. I mean, in some ways, it might have been more, it would have been easier if they just killed him. I mean, if they just killed you, it's over. Almost worse if you can't even die. You're, you're sold off. You're, you're, you're mucking out stalls. You're serving someone else. You're nobody in another land. That's, that might be even worse than death. I don't know. And here he was. He probably thought his own dad forsook him. He never heard from his dad. Dad, where are you? His dad didn't even know. His dad was told, fabricated, lie. But for all Joseph knew, his dad maybe knew about it and didn't come to get him. Dad, where are you? Dad, I thought you said you loved me. Imagine going through all that as a, as a teenager. He was an older teenager, they suspect, around the age of 17. He was in, he was in the land of slavery in Egypt, and, and so he just, he just did what he did best. He was a hard worker, and, and God elevated him to a high place. And his boss's wife thought he was <laughs> pretty good-looking, and she hit on him and wanted to have an affair with him. But he had, he remembered in those 17 years, listen, when you invest in children's lives, you never know when they most need it. At the age of 17, everything he had learned had to now be put into practice in a land that knew not God. Imagine that. He would never have another Sunday school lesson again. He would never have the words of the Torah of Moses ever spoken to him again. He would never have the early... Uh, Moses, okay, that was a little bit later. But he never, had, he never had the early things of Abraham spoken to him. He never had the law, the things that he understood. Not, none of that would have been passed down. He was in a foreign land. And so here he was, working through his own bitterness, and he was raised up, and, and, and she wanted to have an affair with him, and, him, and, and he said no. Uh, and so she lied about him. And Potiphar threw him in, in, in a dungeon. They said it was a horrible dungeon. It's a hole in the ground. Uh, and so he was waiting for God to come through again. And God helped him to interpret a couple dreams, Baker and the butler. And he interpreted a couple dreams. He said, guys, guys, help me. You know, this is not fair. I was down here. It wasn't fair. Guys, make sure you tell them when you get out. And God had it that they forgot. How do you forget something like that? God just like, beep, out of their mind. They... One died, one got free, and the free one forgot about how it all happened. For two years, it was God. Now, that can even make it more dangerous. God, how can you forget me? I want to suggest to you all those things came into play in order for Joseph to be the person God had to make him to be. He had to work through bitterness. He had to work through grievances. He had to work through his anger. He had to work through unforgiveness. He had to work through all that. And if he came out of that pit too early, he could never save the nation. If God is going to have the greatest impact in your life, you've got to go through some of the biggest giants. And those require a delay at seeing your answers. And some of you have seen it delayed for some time. But God is preparing you for a great breakthrough. Two years later, Joseph would be released from prison, but he wasn't the same man. He was a man that was different. He had been purged inside and out. God had great plans for Joseph. And in order for his testimony to be valid, 
There could be no promotion that could be explained in terms of what humans could do. It had to be God. Joseph teaches a few things about the power of God and how he can help you to forgive others. I'm going to share seven. Here they are. I'm going to go quickly through them. Number one, here they are. What Joseph teaches us about absolute forgiveness. One, do not let anyone know what someone said about you or did to you. In Genesis 45, verse 1, the story that happened that Joseph came up out of prison and he ended up accelerating to a place of high prominence. He was governor of the land. As he was governor of the land, 22 years has passed since he was sold into slavery. 22 years. He speaks an entire different language now. He's head of the land. He's the governor. His brothers that wounded him so deeply show up at his doorstep. Who of us wouldn't? That's the temptation of all temptations. Man, you have it coming to you. Right? But Joseph has had a transformation. This is what God's asking of us. The story is for our edification. First of all, do not let anyone know what someone said about you or did to you. Verse 1, Joseph, the brothers are before him. And Joseph decides to disclose. They didn't even know it was him. They didn't because he's speaking a different language. They never guessed he would be this. And note this. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. He cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. Do you see what he did? He wasn't going to pass their dirt on to someone else. Attendants, get out of here. Everybody out of here. This is between you and me. Beloved, sometimes we want to tell the world what somebody did to us. Now, there are reasons for therapeutic reasons you may have to tell someone in order to help walk through for therapeutic reasons. But outside of that, so many times we just want to spread the dirt. And if God is going to bring total freedom to you, you have to deal with this issue. You don't grind it back to the person. Joseph dismissed everybody. This is none of their business. This is between you and me. This is between you and me. Everyone, including the translators, left. Because Joseph did not want a single person in Egypt to know what his brothers did to him 22 years ago. Wow. So if you're going to forgive, you've got to get to that place that God, I am not going to bring vindictiveness in a spirit that others are going to be brought in on this. Psalms 103, 12. As far as the east is from the west, as far as he has removed our transgressions from sin, that is forgiveness. And if he's done it for me, why am I trying to hold somebody else account for it? To others. As if to make them pay for it. You know, beloved, there is a lot of things that God knows about Wayne Lucas that I don't want you to know. And you know what? God threw it away. And it'd be so easy for him to tell all of you <laughs> what he has saved me from. But God has freed me and saved me and cleansed me and washes me. He continues to do that. So if he can do it on my behalf, then can't I do it on someone else's behalf? Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. If that's how he forgave me, then why, why am I bringing somebody's dirt out to someone else? Release them. Don't let anyone know what someone said about you or did to you. Secondly, do not allow anyone to be afraid of you or intimidated by you. You know, sometimes 
we rise up and we want to intimidate them because what they did to us. We want to bring fear. Joseph, in the story here, he revealed his identity to his brothers with tears and compassion, not with haughtiness and pride. Mm. And who would have been tempted to do it with, see where I am today? and See where you are? But you see, all those years that God molded him for this very moment, the last thing Joseph wanted to do was for them to fear him. How many times, beloved, have you felt that because someone hurt you or did that or said that or against you, you could at least enjoy a bit of pleasure watching their fear or intimidate it? You're intimidating them in your presence. 1 John 4.18 says, perfect love drives out fear. Oh, there it is. Because fear has to do with punishment. Perfect love. No, oh, I, won't, I won't bring fear into the equation. Joseph hit the top. He's, at the, he's the top dog here. Had he desired, he could have kept his brothers at a distance. Had he desired, he could have put anything in place. He had power at his fingertips. He could have demanded them praise him for his success. He could have made them fall at his feet in fear, trembling. He could have said to them, I told you so. He didn't do any of it. Genesis 45, verse 4, then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. He didn't push them away. Come. And that word close means he embraced them. Come. I'm not going to make you fall down at my feet. I'm not going to make you afraid of what happened. Embrace me. Hug me. Come. He didn't feel a cut above them. He had no desire to stand back and say, look at me and look at you. He wanted them not to fear his presence. He wanted only love for them. Oh, God, only he can do that. Only he can do that. Love. 1 John 4, 18, there is no fear in love. Joseph did not want his brothers to be afraid. And when we have totally forgiven our offenders, we will not want them to be afraid either. Do not allow anyone to be afraid of you or intimidated by you. Oh, God, help us. Number three. We will want them to forgive themselves. We will want them to forgive themselves and not feel any more guilt. When his 11 brothers came, they had pretty hard time believing all of this. We pick it up again, Genesis 45, 4. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close. When they had done so, he said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And then Joseph knew what they were thinking. He continues, verse 5. And now, do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourself. Do you see that? Quit beating yourself up. Don't be angry of what you did to me. These guys had been carrying it a long time, 22 years. He was releasing them. Do you see what he's doing here? See, if we're to love God, we got to learn how to love others and to love our enemies. He says to them, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because, here's why, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Quit beating yourselves up. Isn't it true, beloved, sometimes we say, I forgive you for what you did, but I hope you feel bad about it. <laughs> this shows we still want to see them punished. We send them away maybe on a guilt trip. I hope you just, you know, I hope this keeps you awake at night like it does me. 
And so to ease their minds, Joseph gave them an explanation for his suffering. We read of it in verse 5. Let's pick it up. Verse 5. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. It was to save lives. God, guys, lives are being saved. Quit being, quit being ridden with guilt. Guilt's a horrible thing. You've got to release them from guilt. Number four, we will let them save face. Genesis 45, verse 7. Let's continue. Joseph continues to talk to his brother. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Saving face means preserving someone's dignity and self-esteem. To love them means to help them save face. It's not only the refusal to let the person feel guilty. We just talked about that. It is providing a rationale that enables them to look good rather than looking bad. Did you see what Joseph did here? He says, guys, yeah, yeah, you thought it for evil. But God actually did this, guys. You thought you did it? God actually did it. God's doing a great work here. And this is a hard one because we look at it and we go, I don't see how God can have any part of that. That was wrong, it was wicked, it was evil, period. But remember we talked about earlier, at the hand of your offender, some of the greatest supernatural works can be seen because of what God's about to take you through. You will discover him at a depth that you never knew him at the hand of your offender. And Joseph said, guys, God did this. God sent me here. He's, he's letting them save face. So you thought it was you who sent me here, but no, guys, don't take all the credit for it. God sent me here. To believe a statement like that would have meant the unimaginable. Guilt would have rolled off the shoulders of these guys. They've been carrying it for all those years. That's loving your enemy. Number five, we will protect them from their greatest fear. When Joseph revealed his identity and expressed forgiveness, what do you think is going on in the mind of his 11 brothers? <laughs> they got to go back home to Canaan. Like, this has all been good. They hug, they embrace. This is a good day. We got to go home now. We got to face dad. Hmm. And we got to tell dad the truth. For 22 years, they had lied. For 22 years, they had said he was so, for 22 years, they had said he was killed by a beast, a wild beast. For 22 years, he thought that a wild beast, that was their, that was their fabricated lie. Now they got to go home and tell dad. This, to me, is probably the most beautiful part of the story. This is the most beautiful part right here of what Joseph just did. So they're thinking, what do we tell him? we got to tell him that we lied. we got to tell him we hated him. we got to tell him that we sold him. We've got to tell them that we fabricated the whole thing. We forsook our brother. We've got to tell them that we, we broke his heart. We've got to tell them all that. Here's what Joseph did. Here's what a person who walks in the power of absolute forgiveness does. We will protect them from their greatest fear. They're about to go back and tell their father all these things. And so Joseph steps in and he tells them what to tell dad. Watch this. Verse 13, now hurry back to father and say to him, he tells them, here's the script. This is what your son Joseph said. 
God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me, you, your children, your grandchildren, your flocks, your herds, and all of you. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. Verse 12, you can see for yourself, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. And then he goes on, verse 13, tell my father about all the honor accorded to me in Egypt and about everything you have seen. Bring my father down here quickly. Now listen, beloved, here. Sin that is under the blood of our sovereign Redeemer does not need to be confessed to anyone else but God. It's okay if you share a situation that is tearing you up inside for the purpose of being able to find healing with one other person. But sin that is under the blood of our sovereign Redeemer does not have to be confessed broad and wide. Jacob, for all we know, never learned the details of what happened. Joseph wouldn't let it. Wow. He wouldn't let it. He said, go back and tell Dad I'm alive. Don't tell him the junk. Because they thought that's, they had to come clean. He says, no, tell him, tell him I'm alive. Tell him to come on and join us. This is a good day. It's a day of rejoicing. And Jacob would never learn of the details, just what he needed to know. That's the, that's the most beautiful part of the whole story. He told them what to say. Wow, what a man of God. God, help us that we would be those that would not have to re-script it, but that God, we would see that in the midst of all this, we protect them from their greatest fear, guilt, and condemnation. Six, number six. It's a lifelong commitment. It's lifelong. It's not a one time. 17 years after reuniting with his long lost son, Jacob dies. His dad dies. 17 years. He had the last 17 years were wonderful. And now the brothers panic again. It's like, oops, dad's dead. Oh, he's going to get us now. He's going to get us now. You know, he forgave us as long as dad was alive, but now that he's dead, 17 years later, Pick it up, chapter 50, verse 21. Joseph says to his brothers, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And Joseph reassured them and spoke kindly to them. There it is, lifelong. You don't just do it for the moment. You do it for the rest of your life. And lastly, pray for them to be blessed. Pray blessings over them. Often we try to pray blessings as number one. But you'll never pray blessings if you don't put all those others in place. So put those in place, okay? Do not let anyone know what someone said about you or did to you. Do not allow anyone to be afraid, intimidated by you, not want them. Uh, we will want them to forgive themselves. You don't want them to be in guilt. We will let them save face. We will protect them for, from their greatest fears. We will be committed for a lifetime. And then pray blessings, Matthew 5, 44, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now you can pray. Now you can pray. And it will flow from a heart that's free. The river will be unclogged. And you really start to have care for that person. And watch what God will do. You know, sometimes we don't forgive people because we don't want them to get away with it. Mm, that's not yours and mine to call. You hinder yourself. The enemy loves it when we want to be vindictive. He hates it when we walk in the freedom of forgiveness and release. And I just want to close with this. One caution. 
Not always are we to go to the person and ask for forgiveness. I'm going to say that, not always. If that person, if that person is yearning to be forgiven, if that person has done wrong and they know they've done wrong and they're yearning to be forgiven, release them. Go to them. Go to them. But otherwise, it's frequently counterproductive to go to everybody who's offended you. Oftentimes, you'll go to them, and your heart will be vulnerable, and you'll say, I forgive you, I'm going to release you, and they'll say, for what? <laughs> right? And it'll tear you apart. It's been my experience that nine out of ten people I've had to forgive sincerely do not feel they did anything wrong. And it's counterproductive, unless they need to be released. Those are the exceptions. It's up to me to forgive them in my heart and then walk in freedom. Walk in freedom. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca